We remain for, for now in chapter 11 of Proverbs. Repeat verse 7. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. Let's pray. Our Father, again we ask that we would be helped by the Spirit as we, as we study Your Word. We pray that it would have free course and be glorified. Lord, do remember Your people, that You would turn Israel back to Thee. We pray for Palestine. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for salvation for the Jews. Lord, You're able to open their eyes once again to behold the Lamb of God and to know for certain it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers and help us. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen. Continuing our study in this wisdom literature, last week, remember we looked at the theme as we uh, or took at the Lord's table Christ in the book of Proverbs. We should expect Christ as the theme not only of the Scriptures, but in that we should find Him in every book. Some believe that you can find Him in every line. But we look, for instance, in chapter 8, some think it's just mere personification of God's knowledge, but do believe there's a there's a personification of Christ in that wisdom chapter. And of course, a famous verse, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And in chapter 30, uh, speaking of who is the son of the one who holds the wind in his fists. And, uh, I think that there's definitely a reference and a foreshadowing of our Savior there. And many other uh, passages, we can certainly say that Christ fleshed out all the moral righteousness that's taught in the book of Proverbs. But you know he's in the book of Job as, the, as my Redeemer and Psalms as, as uh, my God and, and uh, in Ecclesiastes as our Shepherd and the Song of Solomon as our Friend. Proverbs. Chapter 11, especially if you were paying attention that the thought of righteousness or unrighteousness or even the word wickedness or just or unjust all are in the same family of thought and teaching. Normally, uh, Proverbs is not taken expositionally, though there are quite a few passages where you can take several verses in an expositional way. Uh, but it seems to be a, a book that especially uh, shows the topical nature of truth. So we can study truth expositionally, verse by verse, and certainly topically. Jesus, you remember, in a sense, was, gave a topical lesson on Christology. Where he, it says that He 
he showed his disciples in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms the things concerning himself. So we did look at the subject of Christology last week. And we can certainly see theology one one week perhaps in the future about the attributes and works of God in the book of Proverbs. But a major um, parallel, two major parallels you find in the book of Proverbs, wisdom versus foolishness and righteousness versus wickedness. Uh, Normally people think, well, wickedness is someone doing something really bad. But the concept of wicked or wickedness in the Bible is, is uh, contrasted with righteousness. And so, um, a person who's wicked in the book of Proverbs, let's just say, is someone who's uh, not justified, someone who's condemned, not simply someone who does something really bad. Um, of course, there are sins that are worse than others and certain sins that are very bad, but every sin can condemn a soul. But you can look at, the again, the contrast between wisdom, the outworking of knowledge, the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of truth and foolishness, which simply is the, the uh, disobedience and, and the, uh, the failure to, to uh, live according to the knowledge of the Scriptures. But righteousness and wickedness has two particular areas of study. One is, we would call it forensic or legal, and the other would be um, moral or practical, if you will. But I have to confess, as I studied the concepts of righteousness and wickedness in Proverbs, often you can't tell if it's forensic or if it's moral if it's legal or moral, and really, in many ways, both, both work. Uh, the righteous have hope in his death. Is that someone who's morally righteous? Or is that someone who is legally righteous or justified? And we would say yes. Um, one is being sanctified, and you're not going to have sanctification without justification. You don't have justification. You don't have justification unless it, it it follows through in sanctification. So a sanctified person has hope in his death. One who's growing in the Lord, and someone who's obviously justified. It doesn't have even. There are people, in, at least we know of one person in the Bible didn't have much time for sanctification, and the thief on the cross was justified uh, before he uh, just a few hours before he died. But he sure made good use of his sanctification, didn't he? He certainly showed some fruit. But wisdom is, is, is directs us into right doing. As Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 says, there's a wisdom that's profitable to direct us. And we're certainly to receive the instruction of wisdom and justice as the proverb, Proverbs opens. We know, for instance, the uh, the word for righteous or righteousness. Uh, the word, the name Melchizedek, you know, is the king of righteousness. Zedek is the word for righteous. And Zedekiah means um, that the Lord is righteous, or the righteousness of the Lord. Of course, you could coin names too with uh, Zidkijah or 
Zedekel or Jehozadak and so on. And, and uh, you, there are names that can be coined using God's name and some, uh, some truth about the Lord or even about what the Lord uh, imputes to us and uh, the one who communicates to us. So my thought this afternoon is kinds of righteousnesses from the book of Proverbs. Or we might even say right and wrong righteousness. Again, righteous and wicked are contrasted in the book of Proverbs where the, the really bad sinner is not so much called wicked if you're talking about his morals or his immorals, he would be called the fool in the, or the sinner in Proverbs where the morally righteous would be called wise in the book of Proverbs. But, nonetheless, the, the legally and morally righteous in Proverbs is, is the just one, is righteous, or uh, is living in the realm of righteousness. And the, morally and wick, and, and the legally and morally wicked would be called wicked and living in the realm of wickedness. You also have the, have the, have the word called trouble in the Scriptures, in the book of Proverbs, and that's a synonym for one who is uh, wicked. He's li- living in the realm of troublemaking, if you will. It's an interesting word. It's the word awen. And uh, a man named Steve Owen and I um, were sitting together in, a, in one of our classes and we were studying vocabulary and the teacher came to this word and he said, uh, Owen means trouble. And he said, there's double trouble. <laughs> well, that's certainly in our past, isn't it? Uh, we all have a, a, a sinful past and that's what, that's what is a blessing about a Christian. You can, we all have the same uh, record, don't we? The fall and the evidences of the fall. What does it say in our catechism? And, and all um, transgressions which proceed from our sinful state. So again, you look at the two categories of legal uh, righteousness and legal unrighteousness and then moral righteousness and moral unrighteousness. So really we're looking at imputed righteousness, which is legal and just the fruit, the practical righteousness, which is called moral. And of course, we know the book of Proverbs gives us a whole um, panoply, right? A whole, uh, the whole book is dealing with wisdom versus foolishness. Dealing with moral righteousness and moral unrighteousness. And uh, of course, you'd have so many uh, topical studies. The fear of the Lord. Uh, the uh, um, honesty, um, business practices, um, the realm of, of morals like you know adultery versus uh, faithfulness in marriage. There's all kinds of, of topics regarding uh, moral righteousness and moral unrighteousness. One text that I like us to consider is, for instance, Proverbs seventeen fifteen 
He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, these are abomination to the Lord. You see how they go together. Justify and wicked. Justification versus wickedness. And uh, condemnation. I'm sorry. Justification versus wickedness. And you reverse it. Wicked is parallel to condemneth. Condemnation versus justice. You see the, I think they call it a chiasmus. Where you have, again, Proverbs, you're talking about parallelism. You have... uh, you have parallelism that is saying opposites. You have the, what do you call that, the uh, um, antithetic parallelism like this, he that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just are abomination to the Lord. In, that, in, in this sense, you have um, the parallel of, of uh, saying the same thing. You're justifying the wicked or you're condemning the just and it's synonymous, sorry, that's synonymous parallelism. But then you have um, uh, in Proverbs chapter uh, 15, verse 1. Um, Proverbs 15, verse 1. Uh, a, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So you have antithetic parallelism there. Opposites, and then the third, and there may be more than three, but the three main, the third one would be um, synthetic parallelism, where it adds information from the first to the second statement. By the fear of the Lord, um, men depart from evil, and it goes on to say, and his children shall have a place of refuge. So you have an additional statement given to the first statement. Um, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and an additional statement and his children shall have a place of refuge. So what it's saying here is that the question is in Proverbs 17.15 are you is the person that's justifying the uh, unsaved person just simply one who's condemned or is it someone that's justifying a morally sinful person? Again, you can't tell in many of the contexts, but both are true. For instance, if you, if you, if you uh, condemn a saved person or you condemn an idle hater, it's, they're both abomination to the Lord. One is condemning someone simply because he's justified by Christ's righteousness. He's, he's saved by the work of Christ. But you're also going to justify someone that loves God's law or loves holiness. So both are abomination to the Lord. There are people that would simply condemn you simply because you're associated with Christ. And then there are some people that condemn you simply because you tell the truth, because you are morally righteous. So you understand that in Proverbs, sometimes it's very difficult to discern between the legal and the moral when you look at the words uh, righteous or justified. In the New Testament, the word for righteous or just is mostly in the legal sense. Like Romans 5.19, one man's disobedience, many are made sinners. But one man's obedience, many are made righteous. Most of the contexts in the New Testament deal with the moral issues of righteousness 
versus unrighteousness or righteousness versus someone being a sinner as he's legally so. So can we locate legal righteousness in Proverbs? I know this is mostly cerebral, but it is a a study I think that is helpful and necessary as we look at many of the different topics in the book of Proverbs. Can we locate uh, legal righteousness in the book of Proverbs and legal wickedness? Well, I think that I could zero in on a few verses, for instance. In chapter um, 14, verse 32, chapter 14 and verse 32, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. I think it's closer to one who's being justified, one who's legally just before God. What hope do you and I have for when we die? What is our hope? Say our hope is in Christ, but what does that mean? I'm in Christ. I'm justified by Christ's righteousness. That's my hope. My hope is not necessarily in the fact that I tell the truth or that I don't commit adultery. My hope is not so much in my moral righteousness when it comes to our assurance of, of de- in death. Our hope is we're hidden in Christ. So I do believe that that it it seems to zero more in on the legal aspect of righteousness in chapter 14. Um, The Bible says, for instance, in chapter 15, verse 25 or 29, that God hears the prayer of the righteous. I do think that that is focusing more on the the, uh, legal aspect of our righteousness. God hears one who is in Christ, who uh, has the imputed righteousness of Christ uh, to his account. Righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 10 and verse 2. Again, it's the imputed righteousness of Christ that delivers us from our death. So, And the second death. And so, the doctrine of Christ is found not in simply references to him, his name, his attributes, like we studied last week, but in his imputed righteousness that the believer has is certainly, by inference, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ in the wisdom literature. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. I think it's referring to someone who's in Christ. Though it's true that our sanctification shines brighter, our moral righteousness causes us to shine brighter and brighter, but the fact is, it's saying that someone that's in Christ uh, will be like the, 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 the light that shines brighter and brighter. Teach a just man and he will increase in wisdom. Again, that is referring to someone who's legally righteous. And it's so important for us to understand legal as well as moral righteousness. That we are in Christ and therefore will have fruit if we're in Christ, if we're united to Christ, we'll produce fruit. But first of all, the legal aspect is something that Paul, especially in Romans, is really uh, giving a lot of time and a lot of detail for the Christian to understand uh, justification by faith alone. Of course, the just weight 
is God's delight. And we understand that a, a balance is not moral or immoral. It's talking about legal, a le- the legal setting. False balance is abomination to the Lord of the just way is his delight. We looked this morning at the Eighth Commandment. One way to steal is to have a false balance, a false scale. When you put uh, five pounds of bananas on the scale at the store or at the register, you're hoping that it doesn't read a pound and a half and you're, you're being robbed. And so you have supposedly uh, people hired by the New York State Department of Labor or the Department of Agriculture that go with, with a certain weight and they'll put on the scales. And I don't know if they if they're paid off, if they're bribed, or if they really go from store to store. But uh, maybe try it sometime. Bring what you know is a five-pound weight with you to Walmart and put it on the scale. If it reads six pounds, well, uh, something should be done about it, don't you think? Well, there's no doubt that that's referring to, to legal righteousness. A just man falleth seven times, 24-16, but rises up again saying a believer, one who's justified, one who has the imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We will fall at times, but God causes us to rise up again. And uh, we all know our backslidings. We, we pray, Lord, our backslidings are many. But isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord raises you up again? We don't have to wallow in a false guilt when we fall. We confess our sins and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. And of course, the realm of wickedness has legal references. The way of the wicked is his darkness. Chapter 4, verse 19. The fruit of the wicked is to sin. And so that shows you that it's talking about legal right unrighteousness and sin then becomes the moral unrighteousness. The fruit of the wicked. The moral or the immorality of the legally unjustified is sin. And so you see both in chapter 10 and verse 16. The sacrifices of the wicked are abomination to the Lord. Chapter 15 and verse 8. Someone who is is unsaved and unjustified and who brings a sacrifice to the Lord or who prays and does not plead the righteousness of Christ. How many are taught to pray to God and to, and to call God Father and never come in the name of Christ. And don't plead the blood of Christ. For years, as an unjustified man, I was taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's, 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 a, it's false teaching. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So most references can go either way when you're talking about uh, righteous and wicked in the book of Proverbs, but you can zero in on a few verses and note that they're legal. Now as far as the moral area of wickedness is concerned and righteousness, it's all over the Bible. A wicked man lies. His lips are lying lips. That's the fruit of his condemned condition. Uh, The bread of wickedness, chapter 4, verse 17. They commit wickedness, chapter 16, verse 12. 
It's all talking about the fruit of their condemned condition. As far as the wicked, his wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation, we're told in chapter 26, verse 26. So you're going to tell a condemned person by the fact that their bread, their daily life, is evidenced by immorality, by sin, by um, um, moral unrighteousness. Remember the woman in who's the uh, adulteress, chapter 30, verse 20, after she causes another strong man to fall, she wipes her mouth and she says, I have done no wickedness. And so she's definitely talking about moral wickedness. But she certainly is a condemned person. But as far as the righteous, there are verses that use the word righteous and righteousness in a moral sense. He has righteous lips. Chapter 16 and verse 13. He sows righteousness as a sure reward. But again, you, could, you can see how you can argue someone who sows the doctrine of the righteousness of Christ. But nonetheless, when you sow righteousness, you're sowing good morality, uh, the fruit of your sanctification. He that seeketh truth showeth forth righteousness. Chapter 12. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So you see how that's dealing with moral righteousness. And the king's throne is established by righteousness or right doing. That's whether a king is a Christian or not. And we, you understand that that's where one use of the law is important for us to challenge our magistrates. Kings and, and queens and governors and town supervisors that we challenge them that their, their rule is to be parallel, is, is to be matched with the law of God. And so they should be handed the Ten Commandments. They should, uh, for instance today, they should frown upon having fairs on the Sabbath day. They should frown on stores opening on the Sabbath day. They should uh, encourage businesses to be like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. They should frown upon uh, parties behind the town hall where there's all kinds of, of wicked music and, and uh, drinking binges and people that are, are dressed uh, pro, uh, more, more impurely. So it is certainly something that is challenging to the unsaved leader. And so God's moral law is not just for the believer. It has many uses for you and me. So, what are the kinds of righteousness or righteousnesses in Proverbs? You have, you have legal, whether it's talking about righteousness or unrighteousness. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? You have moral is a person's a person who's legally in Christ will be sanctified and he will have moral righteousness that proves it. Someone who's condemned, someone who's out of Christ, will have uh, sin as the fruit of his of his uh, condition. He cannot but sin. Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Even the best that a wicked person can do 
is sin because it's not done for the glory of God. But I, I give a third category because even though it's not called this, it's certainly found here and throughout the book, the Scriptures. The third kind of righteousness is self-righteousness. Of course, it's unrighteousness. But uh, you have self-righteousness. And we have that in a few places, certainly in Proverbs. For instance, in chapter 16, verse 3, 16 verse, uh, sorry, verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. See, that's the level of man's thinking. Everything is clean as far as he's concerned. I see no sin in my life. I don't see dishonesty in my dealings. I don't see uh, half-heartedness. I don't see ungodliness in my religion. His, all the ways are clean in, in, in his own eyes. But what a terrorizing thought. The Lord weigheth the spheres. But thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your balances are dishonest balances. Your righteousness, you say, has the weight of righteousness. But my balance is, is, is just. My balances say, you're wanting. You're wanting. Of course, those, those, that passage in Daniel is so revealing, isn't it? It seems like every time I read that passage, is it Daniel that speaks to Belshazzar? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. I can't help but seeing Belshazzar sitting on a balance and uh, the weight of God's righteousness just takes him way up in the air and almost throws him off the balance. And that's essentially where we are as far as the Lord is concerned. And see how the proverb writer follows up on that in verse 4. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, every, or even the wicked for the day of evil. So the Bible here tells us that that person that's self-righteous will one day be shown to be unrighteous. So really, self-righteousness is unrighteousness, so we would say that it's technically in the category of legal wickedness. But nonetheless, the Bible does uh, reveal people that cannot but think that they are right with God. And they're going to be thoroughly disappointed. Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in Your name? And I remember when uh, hearing R.C. Sproul say that whenever you see the double name in the Bible, it's, it's, it's saying, I know you. you know, Martha, Martha, or Moses, Moses. The Lord is saying, I know you. And the, I know you as your Lord, as your Savior, in other words. Uh, but the other way around, when David said, Absalom, Absalom, he wasn't saying that God knows Absalom. He's saying, my son. I knew him as my son, and yet he's, he was saying it in a sense... Uh, you're lost. But you remember, they come to the Lord at the end and say, Lord, Lord, what are they saying? We know you. We're familiar with you. Of course, he goes on to say, did we not do those works in your name? I never knew you. I was never acquainted with you savingly. And so self-righteousness is something that needs to be pointed out. Not just unrighteousness as far as moral 
moral sins that are pointed out, but people need to see that that the ones that seem to be the most deceived are the are the the uh, seemingly moral that don't do very bad things. Oh, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't uh, murdered anybody. But you you look at you compare yourself vertically with God, and you're you're weighed in the balances and found wanting. And of course, when the Bible, especially in the wisdom literature, repeats a verse, it's for emphasis, isn't it? Of course, I'm sure you all have memorized. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's found in chapter 14, verse 12, and also 16, verse 25. That's saying, you better beware of your, your self-righteousness. There are people that are absolutely convinced that they're going to heaven. Remember the one uh, TV uh, newsman. He was, he was always at night, but he, he ended up leaving, I think it was Channel 4. He's working for the Roman Catholic Diocese now. He lived right next door to our daughter in Springville. And uh, George, I think, his first name, but I can't remember his last name. But I was at a fruit stand with him one day, and we were just chit-chatting. My daughter had moved back to South Carolina, and, and I was just saying I'd, and I'd seen him next door. And, and finally, we got to the gospel, and, and I just was, I asked him, are, "Are you sure your sins are forgiven? Are you are you sure you're going to?" He says, "He says, Phil, I'm Catholic," and I said. Uh, was it George? I think it was George. I said, "Is that? A, are you saying that it's a ticket to heaven just because you're Catholic?" I'm not saying that I'm, I'm going to heaven because I'm a Presbyterian or a Protestant. It's it's not our self righteousness. It's not our label. It's not the religion that we're adhering to. It's the Lord alone that can save us from our sins. And then in chapter twenty and verse six. So, Proverbs is not rare in giving us this, this warning. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, it seems like we all, and that can, it, certainly can, it certainly convicts the Christian too. How often do we want to tell people a story just so that we pump up ourselves rather than sincerely giving God the glory for something that He may have done through us? And, uh, but yet, certainly, this applies to a lost person who uh, will tally all the good things that he's done and think that, as you all heard, and I can remember growing up hearing this often, if your good outweighs your bad, then you certainly the Lord will allow you into heaven. But the, the Jehovah Witnesses will, will often say, you know, our door-to-door is, not, is, is, is even better than the Mormons. And uh, it's true that we should take a challenge from cults. Are, are they more zealous for their self-righteousness and for promoting works righteousness than we are who know the truth? And, you know, I, m- I remember hearing of a, of a lost man say, if I believed what you believe, I would be on my hands and knees warning people to flee from the wrath to come. And I don't think the Bible commands us to go on our hands and knees door to door, but I think if we, if we really had a sense of, of Judgment Day, 
like the old believers said, we have a judgment day mentality, I think we'd be a little bit more zealous, wouldn't we? Not only for our own obedience to God, but for our, our doing the work of evangelism. Rather than arguing that only full-time workers should evangelize, shouldn't we all see that all of us are, are gospelers out in this world? Right? Didn't the woman of Samaria, did she say, you know, uh, send your apostles out into the city? You know, I'm just a woman. She went and told them, come see a man. It told me everything. That's all she said. I mean, sometimes I wonder if we, if we just think things too, too deeply and we just don't say to somebody like Philip, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You know, we found him who, who uh, is the Messiah. And all the women said, I found a man who told me everything I did. I think we, we just, maybe it's our intimidation. We're intimidated rather than being in, really intimidated by the, by the greatness of God. So, we have legal righteousness, legal unrighteousness or wickedness, and we have self-righteousness or works righteousness. And the dominant, there's no doubt that the dominant area of study in Proverbs is moral righteousness and moral unrighteousness. So, you have virtues and vices. And we could be here until... Tomorrow morning, studying the different virtues and vices in Proverbs. But you all know that there are, there are many topics that you could study. The fear of the Lord versus the lack of fear. Um, honesty versus dishonesty. Um, you know, faithfulness in marriage versus unfaithfulness in marriage. And right down the line. And, and I just went from chapter to chapter and just scanned different um, righteousnesses or moral righteousnesses and moral wickednesses. And you find faith in God quite, a, quite often in Proverbs. So we don't, we're not just regenerated by faith. We are sanctified by faith, are we not? And in a real sense, the faith follows our regeneration. So it wasn't our faith in the Lord that caused us to be regenerated. We were regenerated and then we believed. But you have the doctrine of creation. We be, a person that, that believes that God is the Creator is a justified person. That's moral righteousness to, to believe in the create nature of God. Chapter 3. Doing good is taught in Proverbs. Guarding our hearts. Having a faithful marriage. Chapter 5. I mean, often... The young man is, is warned about immorality in the first, what, nine chapters of Proverbs. Wow, that's huge. That's what? That's 25% or more of Proverbs is warning the young man, and not just the young man, but every man, every woman about promiscuity and, and adultery. You have beware, you have often uh, business practices, beware of. of Unthought of debt. Diligence in our labor versus sloth. Resisting immorality. Knowing Christ. Receiving rebuke. Having a good work ethic. Being a forgiving person. Over and over again, love covers a multitude of sins. Honesty. A just weight. Preparation for eternity. Generosity. Winning souls. Finding a spouse. You know, 
we're finding it often that people are delaying marriage. And it's interesting when we studied the seventh commandment that one of the sins that were, are forbidden in the seventh commandment is undue delay of marriage. I've heard ministers from the pulpit say, why aren't some of our women married? And he, he often, they will often say something like, our, our men are not growing up and they're in their 30s and 40s and they're playing games instead of looking for a wife. Be that as it may. But uh, respecting authority, friendships, good stewardship, disciplining children, a woman being, uh, being content by, by being a keeper at home, making our calling and election sure, being self-controlled, merciful, soft answering, prayerful, joyful, calling good good and evil evil, Loyal, trustworthy, one who listens, one who hears all sides before he makes a decision, one who is sober, one who defers his anger, one who seeks holiness, one who takes not vengeance, one who keeps his vows, who believes God can change hearts, who's peaceful and peacemaking, who perseveres in the faith, who, who realizes his pleasures are no treasures who is a good testimony before people. I mean, it's obviously uh, on, the, on the weighty side as far as moral righteousness. But are you and I legally righteous? Are we justified by the works of Christ? Then we will be sanctified. We will grow in grace in the knowledge of Christ. We should be concerned about using the Ten Commandments as a guide to our sanctification to our moral righteousness. And I would, I would just challenge us, even in our minds this afternoon, can you find, for instance, the Ten Commandments in the book of Proverbs? Don't look. I mean, it's, it's certainly a worthy thing since there are 31 chapters in Proverbs to read a proverb of the day. You're going to have to catch up in, in February. And, uh, but it'll be good for August. You can go right to the 31st. But uh, I did some homework here, certainly. But there is, there is one commandment that's a little bit difficult. The first commandment, the Lord established the heavens. The second commandment, he that loveth pleasure. It's not a good thing. The third commandment, the, the writer says... Give me food convenient for me, lest if I don't have enough, I take the name of my God in vain. The fourth commandment will leave for a moment. The fifth commandment, He that curseth father and mother, let his lamp be put out in obscure darkness. The sixth commandment, You do violence to the blood of any man, you better flee to the pit. Let no man stay you. The seventh commandment, He that committeth adultery with a woman lacketh heart. The eighth commandment, A thief Though he's shown mercy by people, he better he's going to have to pay back what he has stolen. I know I'm paraphrasing. Ninth commandment, a lying tongue is what God hates. The tenth commandment, uh, the, the, the uh, covetous person covets greedily all day long. So we come to the obvious one that I, I omitted at this point. Can you find the Sabbath in the book of Proverbs? Let me just say, if you cannot find the, book, the, the, the Sabbath commandment in the book of Proverbs, it does not jettison the, the fourth commandment from the Decalogue. 
But it also may, and I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting this, it, might, it also might reveal our ignorance or reveal my ignorance. Here are three verses that may suggest it. And I'm open to our iron sharpening iron and our, our studying together. But it says in chapter 3, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The Bible unanimously teaches that we're to bring our tithes and offerings on the day of public worship. So, you may say that might be weak, but it's a start. The Bible says we're to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. All of our ways. That includes our time. He demands 10, 14% of our time. And Sabbath breakers are thieves. Just like Spurgeon said, the man that had seven coins and the beggar said, would you please give me some money? And he gave him six coins and he knew he had a seventh and when he turned his back, he, he robbed the man of his seventh coin. He says, God's been so good to us to give us six days. And we turn around and rob him of his time. It's his son's time. He's going to buy back that time. And the third verse is... Chapter 7, verse 14. Interesting thought. As the adulterous woman is trying to persuade a young man to immorality, among other things, she says, This day have I paid my vows. Now, in other words, what I read in between there was, I went to church today. I'm okay. It's kind of like when I went to to confession on Saturday nights. I'm ready now. I'm ready for seven more days of doing whatever I want to do. Because I always have Saturday night. I always have my religious day. And isn't that how a Christian can think too? I've been, I've been to church. How often have we met folks? I've been to church. Done that. Been there. And, and you and I can have the same idea. I've we study the Bible today. We had a good day of service. And then, what happens often on the Sabbath evening? We let down our hair and we don't, we don't uh, preserve what we've learned and what has been a blessing. And it's so important for us to hold down the food that we ate. You heard about the days of war. The farmers were the ones that had the food. And I remember Dr. Um, Salter He's a German that came from Germany to America, but he gave this story about the German farmers. That some of them had so much food, and I don't know why they didn't just try to send it off to the war, to the soldiers. They had so much food that after they finished a meal, they would run around the barns so that they'd throw up the meal that they had so they wouldn't waste the food that was in their garners and eat again and again and again and they would just throw up their food lest they would bury it. And obviously the thought was why didn't they somehow get the excess food to the people that were starving? Well, there were answers to that and sometimes it was simply because of sloth and thievery. They held back, cursed is he that withholds the corn, Proverbs tells us. So having said that, uh, when did this woman pay her vows? 
whether it be her peace vows or her confession, her sin offerings. But uh, remember, the offerings they could, they were able. Some, the priest got some the offerings that were eaten that were not fully consumed, like the burnt offering. They were able to take back some food and eat it as if they were saying they were enjoying forgiveness and fellowship with God, the peace offerings. And here's a woman saying, I've been to church. Everything's fine. What I do tonight, no problem. Don't worry about it. Have no conscience about it. Man, don't you fear God? The good man is not at home. He's gone. So, aren't you going to be faithful to your covenant? But having said that, again, I think that there is some thought, some inference to the Sabbath in these passages, but I'm open to the further revelation. So what's the, the take-home thought for us today? Righteousness delivers from death. We need Christ's righteousness. Are you, are you imputed with His righteousness? Can you say, Jehovah Sid Kenu? The Lord is my righteousness. When the Father looks upon me, He looks upon Christ. And can you say that I am not trusting in my works righteousness? There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But there is a way that is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it's Christ. And He's the one that said that. And it's so important for us to have that that consciousness and conscience and conviction because there are so many ways that are purported for people. And there are people on their deathbed saying, send me somebody that can relieve me of my guilt, of my fear of the unknown. I heard John Wayne was like that before he died. And the fearful thing, I heard they sent a priest to him. That that was his last rites. But they, let's not forget, because there's so much self-righteousness and works-righteousness taught, I think sometimes we are short on preaching moral righteousness, obedience to God, following through on the precepts of God's commandments, as well as avoiding the prohibitions. You and I need to bear fruit. What did Jesus say? Here is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall you what? Be my disciples? Is He saying you'll become my disciples if you bear fruit? No. You'll be known as my disciples. What does He say? How do you, how do, how do you know that... How do I know that you love me? Yeah. Yeah. And Proverbs is helping us to learn to focus indeed on moral righteousness. Let us be righteous. Let us be righteous.